Morning, everybody. And a happy new year. <clears throat> it's so good to see so many people here. I really, I said to John, I'm, I'm sure today is going to be quiet. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't you think the same thing? Uh, yeah, I think a lot of people will just be trying to catch up with themselves. And Isn't this wonderful? Well done for being here. Bless the Lord. <clears throat> Excuse me. I love New Year because I think it's just a time where we can close the chapter mentally on the past year and all the stuff that went on. And let's face it, the past two years have, have been quite tough. And so a new year brings a new season and with it some excitement of new things and expectation. And also a lot of family get-togethers during Christmas and New Year, a lot of eating and drinking and feasting together. And so I want to start my message, and if you could put the slides up there, thanks, Denver where the Apostle Paul is writing to the, the church in Colossae, and it's in, one, um, in Colossians 2. Um, we're going to read from verse 16, and I'm sure it's going to come up shortly. Oh, okay. They're getting there. Okay, but we'll start in the meantime. Okay, so the Apostle Paul's writing to the church, and he's saying to them, don't let anyone pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. They've been given all these laws in the Old Testament that they were following. And he's saying to them now, don't let people judge you about that now. Uh, we're in a new season. And he said, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And I think that's such a powerful statement. These are a shadow. All of these rituals, these things that you're doing, these feasts, etc., are a shadow of things to come. But the substance, um, the reality, the body, some translations say, belongs to Christ. And so a shadow is not the real thing. Are we on there? Okay, excellent. Good. So this is what I want to talk about today. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm really just battling with the frog in the throat today. <clears throat> Excuse me. Shadow versus substance. And it ties in so well with what Naaman was saying in the, in the earlier part of the service and what Ray shared. Shadow versus substance. Now we know shadow is not the real thing. It is a picture of what's to come. So if you see a, a shadow of a person, then obviously the person must be there to be forming the shadow. Um, if you see a shadow of a building, then the building will be there. So a shadow is, it, it's sort of a promise of something that's coming, something that's there that you haven't yet seen. And it's not that a shadow is a bad thing, especially in terms of what we're going to talk about today. Shadow is bad and substance is good. No, not at all. A shadow is merely the forerunner. It's telling you what's coming. And so in the Old Testament, they were given lots of these laws and feasts and things, which was a shadow of what was coming in Jesus, who was the, going to be the reality of it. And so this morning, I just want to spend a little bit of time and just focusing on, there was seven feasts specifically that God gave to the Israelites. And we're just going to have a look at them and see how the shadow became substance. And then we're going to pull it through to our lives today and say, okay, what does this mean to us? And so one of the first feasts, <clears throat> excuse me, started to take place in Exodus. Now, you know the background to this, and I'm sure you know the story. Um, the Israelites were in Egypt. They'd been in captivity for hundreds of years, and it was about time for them to be let go. And after all the plagues, and Pharaoh kept changing his mind and saying, no, you can't, no, you can't, this was going to be the last thing that was going to free the people of Israel. And so <clears throat> you can read about it in Exodus 12. <clears throat> Excuse me, they were told 
that each family should select a lamb, a one-year-old lamb, without blemish. And at the same time, in the late afternoon, the same time of the day, they were all to kill the lamb, and then they were to actually have a bry. They had to roast the lamb on a fire. They weren't allowed to boil it or do anything else. They had to roast on a fire. So it sounds like a good bride to me. Um, they had to bry the lamb, and then they had to eat it that evening with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. But it wasn't a bry like maybe we had a bry yesterday for New Year's Day, and we were all casual, relaxing and everything. They were told, no, you eat this lamb and this unleavened bread and the bitter herbs with your shoes on, with your belt on, with your staff in your hand, because you need to be ready. It's going to be a time of movement. They then had to take the, the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorposts and on the lintels. And you remember the story. Um, God was going to strike the firstborn in all of Egypt. But as he came through, wherever he saw the blood on the doorposts and on the lintels, he would pass by. And that became known as the Passover feast. And they were then told, and they were given in Leviticus 23, they were told that every year you will celebrate this Passover feast. And so that became an annual thing that they were celebrating. And now we know that this was fulfilled with the crucifixion, where Jesus became that lamb, where his blood was shed to become the Passover for us, that our sins are passed over and the blood washes them clean. And what's so interesting is that we don't often sort of link it up and think about it, but when Jesus was crucified, remember it was the time of the actual Passover feast, so that Passover feast takes place once a year, and it runs for 24 hours. And it was during that Passover feast that Jesus became the sacrificial lamb. And if you think about it, that God had to really plan that long before. When he decided to actually send Jesus, he'd worked out exactly. He wanted him to be crucified on the exact day of the Passover. And yes, well, we, we're familiar with that. But the next feast is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that feast actually was a seven-day feast. So it started before Passover, and it ended on the day after Passover. And what they had to do is they had to take all the leaven out of their homes, leaven being a representative of sin. They had to go through their cupboards, through all their groceries, through everything, and take away every bit of leaven. They, it was such a strict law that if anyone had leaven in their home, they were like going to be cast out. Um, so they had to remove all of this leaven, all of this, it's like yeast, out of their homes. And for seven days, they had to eat this unleavened bread. And you know, that's like those matzos biscuits that we, we sometimes use for communion. And so on the seventh day, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was the final day. And that was actually the day after Passover when Jesus was, it represents the burial that we, we read about in Matthew 27. Now, interesting, part of the tradition, and they still do it in the Jewish homes today, is they would take three pieces of this matzos bread, and they would put it into a linen bag. The father or, or the host of the feast would do that. And then he would take the middle piece out and actually break it in half and take the half out and wrap it in a linen napkin. And then they'd close all the eyes of the children and they'd hide that somewhere in the home. And the children then got all excited and had to go and look for um, this half-broken matzos. And really symbolic um, of, of Jesus dying and of his burial. So it's something that they still are doing today, uh, many, many years later, a symbol of Jesus burial and then the next feast which happened the following day or the third day after the Passover was the feast of first fruits so first fruits is the first fruits of the the harvest 
And so they would have to take like a, a sheaf of grain, um, and it was a wave offering. They would then wave it um, before the Lord. And this is the feast that happened on the day of the resurrection. So if you just think about it, for years they've been waving this, the first fruits, waving this grain sheaf before the Lord. But listen to what the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So the Bible tells us clearly that he is the first fruits. And so this feast is celebrating his resurrection. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. And so on that exact day of the feast, Jesus rises from the dead and he becomes that first fruit that they've been celebrating. And so we sing all the time that these shadows of things that are representative of Christ are fulfilled in the substance of Christ when he actually comes. Then they had to count 50 days, and the next feast was the feast, it's often known as the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost actually means 50 in Greek. I, always, I grew up in the Pentecostal church, so I always thought it was, it was something to do with uh, speaking in tongues. But that's what happened on that day. So that day was the Feast of Pentecost. And the Feast of Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, was a harvest feast. Um, and, and that's why I've put that picture there. So th they would bring grain and things that they've made from their harvest uh, as an offering to the Lord. And if you think about on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came and they were all um, baptized in the Spirit and they spoke in tongues, after that, Peter got up and he gave a message, such a, a dynamic uh, message about Christ, and 3,000 people were added, and that was a harvest, harvest of souls that happened on that very day of Pentecost. So we can just see how those shadows of the things that the Israelites had been doing for years and years were fulfilled. And sadly, the Jewish people are still doing those feasts all the time, every year, um, not even realizing, remember their eyes have been um, sort of blinded for a while, not even realizing that what they do depicts Christ. Um, and the Bible does tell us that one day their eyes will be opened and then they're going to go, wow had no idea exactly how close we were. But we do know the truth. And so some of the feasts, um, and I mentioned seven, some of the feasts are believed to have not yet been fulfilled. They're still a shadow of things to come. And so the next one is Feast of Trumpets. And all these feasts were given out. You can read about them all in Leviticus 23. So on this day, um, it was a holy day um, where they weren't allowed to do any work. And I love that about all these feasts. Um, if you read about them, it always says, you're not allowed to work on this day. Um, that was a great uh, instruction from God. So they weren't allowed to work, but they had to blow the trumpets. So some people believe that the Feast of Trumpets will be fulfilled at the rapture when the trumpet sounds, as we read about in, in Thess 1 Thessalonians 4. Well, we don't know for sure, but time will tell. But if you look at exactly how God has planned it, and each um, event has happened on that specific day, it, it's quite convincing, isn't it? So I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, when is the Feast of Trumpets? So I can know when the rapture might take place. Well, the Bible says they had to celebrate it on the first day of the seventh month. But just remember that their calendar is different to ours. So I'll show you what their calendar looks like. 
Let's just start on the top. These are the feasts I've been talking about, um, Passover, Unleavened Bread, and First Fruits. They happen in their month of, and I don't know how to pronounce these, but the month of Nisan and Lyre, um, mostly Nisan there, which is around March, April. And those are known as the spring feasts. Remembering that's the northern hemisphere where their seasons are opposite to ours. Then at the bottom here, these are known as the fall or the, the autumn feasts. Uh, the Feast of Trumpets, which is in their month of t Tishri, the seventh month, which is sometime in September. So what that tells us, if this is the case, um, that the rapture could take place sometime in September, but we don't know exactly which day. Remember the days change every year based on the moon, uh, and also we don't know what year. But it could certainly happen in September. And then there's a Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, which is believed to be the second coming of Christ. Um, and I don't have time to go into the detail, but it just um, ties up with what is being celebrated on the Day of Atonement. And then finally, there's the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, um, that's believed to be well, what will take place in the millennium in heaven. You remember Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And in the Feast of Tabernacles, um, they, they actually make little booths, which also represents what they stayed in during the time in the desert. Little booths, they make them often in their gardens, and they put all kinds of fruit, and um, it's sort of a happy feast, uh, and they spend some time there during the feast. So that's believed to be what will happen when, when we do go to heaven. And so many more laws and things were given to the Israelites, um, like the law of the Sabbath, that they had to keep holy. And then we find scriptures like in Hebrews 4, it talks about an eternal Sabbath rest for the, for the people of God. And so many of these things um, that have and are still shadows are going to become substance as they become fulfilled. But let's just look at the substance, um, Jesus, and Christ, Jesus Christ being the substance, a little more of what the Bible says about him. And I love the scripture in Colossians 1, 15. And I've just pulled out sort of the key points here. So the substance of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So if you feel like you're falling apart, I can tell you now you're not, because Jesus is holding you together. But in my preparation of this message, I really felt like the Holy Spirit was saying that a lot of us, a lot of you sitting here today, feel like you're still living in the shadow. You've not yet moved into the substance in certain areas of your life. Like maybe you have a great marriage, but your finances are in a mess. Maybe your job is good, but you're battling with some relationships. Maybe you're waiting for healing or for prophecies that have been spoken over your life that are just not happening and, and you're just waiting and waiting and it feels to you like you're in the shadow. You, the promise is there, but you're not yet have reached the substance. And it's easy to start getting weary and worn down um, and downcast and downhearted about these things. But Jesus died so that we can live in his substance so that we can live in his fullness. And he wants us to move from shadow to substance in our own lives. But what do we do when it's taking so long? What do we do when years are dragging on and we just don't seem to be reaching the substance? <clears throat> and so the first thing that I'll say to you is don't give up. 
Keep pressing through the crowds. Keep leaning in. Keep knocking. Keep asking. Keep doing the right things. Um, Keep those feasts. Keep the things that will remind you that the substance is there, a reminder of the promise. And that's why I love Galatians 6, 9 so much, because Paul writing here says, let us not become weary in doing good. Let us not become tired of doing the right things, even though it seems like time is dragging on. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And what is that proper time? It's God's time. You know, we've got our time, your time, God's time. And it's all completely different. Because isn't God's time just not exactly what we would think? Because so often we would think, okay, this thing must happen, it must happen now. And we're in this instant generation anyway where things happen so quick uh, that we expect things to happen quickly with God. But God's actually not in a rush. At the end of the year, normally I I go through my my computer, my laptop, and I clear out all emails, I clear out all files and folders, and it's just a good clean out. Um, I have the courage to just hit delete uh, because it's the end of a year, and and next year, hopefully I won't need that thing. (laughs) And so as I was doing that uh, in, in, in December, I came across a 2011 home group prayer list. I typed it up for our home group of that time, 2011. So I thought, that's interesting. Let me have a look. And it was so interesting to have a look at everything on that list. And some of the people, uh, some have emigrated, you know, and a lot of them I still know or we're still in contact with or we're still in relationship with or some people are still in the home group. Um, Just to have seen what's happened uh, from that request in 2011 to now. And I can tell you that a lot of those requests were not answered immediately. In fact, some of them were answered last year, 2021. But God knew all along. See, during, so the one request was for somebody to sell their house. They were desperate to sell their house. It's taken 10 years. But the house sold last year. Now, I know this person, I know their life, and can I tell you, the timing was perfect in 2021. Because God opened another door and they've actually, um, as a couple, they've been asked to house sit a beautiful house um, up in Kloof and uh, for three years while those people are overseas. And at the same time, they're actually building something in Amshloti, so uh, they've got this house to stay in while the building's happening. The finances have now been released. I mean, God knows. So I want to urge you, and, and at, as we look at these things, is don't get frustrated Don't get weary. Don't get tired of doing the right thing because God's timing is perfect. Uh, Another one was looking for a marriage partner and got married last year, 10 years later. But again, it's been an evolving story. So don't give up. God knows what he's doing. He's not in a rush and his timing is perfect. So while you're waiting, what else can you do? Well, you can hold on to a word. The word is Jesus. So if you can find an appropriate scripture to hold on to, uh, and I know Sam often tells the story where as she was growing up, um, her dad, Ray, would always say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, if that's your verse, then keep repeating it. It will help you. And a lot of you have heard my own testimony um, many years ago in my early 20s when I, I got married the first time to an on-fire Christian young man. Um, and eight years later, he backslid and turned completely against God. And at that time, I was just in faith. I just, he's going to come back to God. I just believed that. And so I found a scripture for myself, which is 1 Peter 3, verses 1 and 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, 
so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And so I lived that for one year, for two years, for three years, for four years. And at times I felt rebellion coming up. I was like, no, this, I can't do this anymore. And I just went back to the Lord and I went back to the scripture. Wives, you can win your husband over just by your behavior, just by being loving and respectful and your pure conduct. And so I continued to do that in faith that God would bring him back. And that went on for 15 years. 15 years. So it's no, no short time, I can tell you. And there have been times in my life where I thought, oh my, I wasted those 15 years, I wasted them. But you know that the Holy Spirit revealed to me and said, Irene, you didn't waste those years. Because you did it in faith and you did it to God. So it didn't really matter what happened because towards the end of those 15 years, I had a dream. And in my dream, Guy Emery, and some of you will know him, he used to be an elder in this church. Guy Emery was in my dream and he said to me, Irene, your dream might not be possible. And I only had one dream at that stage. I prayed for every day, and that was for my backslidden husband to come back to the Lord, for, for, the, um, for my children to see their father serving God, because uh, they hadn't seen that in, in their short lifetime. And he said, your dream might not be possible. And so I had to let go of it. And after 15 years, um, my then husband left. He packed up and left. Did I waste that time? No, I did it as unto God, and I did it in faith. And there's a scripture in 1 Corinthians 7.15 that says, if the unbeliever departs, the brother or sister is not bound. And so I was free. My life then took on a whole different um, path. I was free, but I had no regrets. And I have complete peace that I honored God and I honored his word and I kept sticking to the word. I stuck to the word and lived it out. Um, because remember what that says, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest and I'm now reaping a harvest of what I sowed in those years. It wasn't always easy, but I hung on to God. I clung on to God. I hung on to his word. Um, I, I kept the faith, and now I'm reaping the harvest because my life is beautiful. God has yeah. restored so much to me, um, and I always wondered why God sent Guy Emery to me in a dream, and it was only years later when I married an Emery. They're not related, but he's an Emery, so I'm Irene Emery now. Then I realized, isn't God so clever, hey? He sent Guy Emery because the surname was uh, relevant. And so I've asked my wonderful husband, John, and we just celebrated our 10th wedding anniversary in December. <laughs> I've asked him just to come and briefly share a little bit of his story because he, before I even met him, he had a story himself um, of where God has done amazing things in his life. So I'm going to give him the mic for a few minutes. Thanks, honey. I'm going to use this one. Um, just going to have to bear with me because I don't have screen notes and I've got notes here and I need glasses and I need a cell phone. So just give me a second, please. Anyway, good morning, everybody, and Happy New Year to you all. Don't you just love new beginnings? Aren't they just marvelous? Um, and uh, God is just so faithful, so wonderful. Um, Irene tells stories. I've, I've got a short period. It's just, I've only got a few minutes. So uh, it's very difficult when you take 57 years of your life and you try and condense it into a couple of minutes. Um, but there are so many stories that one could tell. Um, stories of chairs, specific chairs in this church that when the first time I came here, I sat in a chair and God said to me, 
And he, doesn't, he hasn't spoken to me directly very often. I'll refer back to that. But you'll find your wife in this church. I got impatient. I tried to help him. That didn't work out all that well. Some of you might know some of those stories. Um, but uh, I look now and I'm just so amazingly blessed. Um, so, you know, we, I just want to start with this. It's from the Amplified. It's Habakkuk 2 verse 3. For the vision is yet for the appointed time and hasteth towards the end and shall not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not delay. Now, I may have taken that out of context, but as I was sitting here making some notes this morning, that, just, that scripture just landed, um, and I needed to share that. So, I struggled with addiction for many, many, many years. Um, I was a Christian. Someone gave me a book once that said, um, I can't be an addict, I'm a Christian. It's a good thing the book didn't say, I can't be a Christian, I'm an addict. But I didn't understand. I didn't really understand what that was all about. So I want to just share a few little things. There were three times in my life that I kind of came to the end of myself. Um, and, and I had, there were literally two responses to that. First time I was in the army, um, I, I knew I was a Christian. I was saved. I'd given my life to the Lord. I, I, I knew that I knew that I knew that the Spirit lived in me. I knew I was saved. I knew Jesus, I was covered by his blood. But I looked at around the army and I just said, I can't get this right. I keep messing up the same things. I keep saying I'm never going to do that again and then doing it again. Um, and I decided that the best thing to do was to say, okay, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I'm turning my back on God. I'm walking away because I'm just messing up. I can't get it right. I just can't get it right. Then the second time, well, Two instances where the same lesson came through. One in Grahamstown, a friend of mine had said to me, come to church. I said, sure, I'll come to church. Anyway, I was, God just undid me. Back to the church, and here I was, super cool. I was, you know, doing my thing at varsity, and everything was wonderful. And I was snotting and crying and just a mess. Jesus came and he met me. And you know what was amazing about that? No guilt. I didn't feel guilt. I didn't feel shame. I didn't feel condemnation. It was cathartic. It was, I was, those tears were, 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 were prompted by his love for me. Overwhelming. Overwhelming love for me. That happened twice. First time in Grahamstown. Second time in Rhema. Um, it was an Easter service. And, um, yeah, it, same thing. I was, I was broken, and I was crying. And I said God hasn't spoken to me directly too many times, but I want to mention three times. The first time, well, not the first time, but the first time I want to mention it was that service at Rhema. Worship group, and the guys started singing, and the song was, This Blood is for You. Man, I was undone. All over again, sobbing, crying, but without guilt and condemnation, with this incredible sense of love and acceptance and just being covered and embraced by His love. And sometimes we disqualify ourselves, and I've done that several times. The first time was when I mentioned when I was in the army, and I just said, I'm not, I'm not going to be this hypocrite, I'm turning my back. Second time, we um, decided to 
go on a prayer journey to Morocco. Amazing, exciting, beautiful, amazing experience. Um, and I just thought, I can't go. I'm living this double life. I'm addicted to, I've got these drugs in my life, but I know that I know that I know that God loves me. And I know that His Spirit lives in me. Why can't I, why can't I have victory over this thing? Why can I not defeat this thing? Why has it got a hold on me? And I just thought, I'm not going to go. I can't go. It's, it's double standards. It's deceptive. I actually, who, who am I to go there and pretend everything's cool and go on a prayer journey when my life is such a mess? And somebody came to us during a day of preparation and said, your tickets are paid for. How do I then say I'm not going? How do I then say I'm not going? The second time that I want to talk to you about God speaking to me was in the desert in Morocco. On one of the commissioning things, on the first day that we arrived there, someone shared the story about us going to various parts of Morocco, and we, some of us were going, our group was going to, it hadn't rained for three years. Anyway, we woke up, we were in a place called Wazazat. They filmed the Jesus movie there, um, the, that Matthew movie, Jesus. A lot of that was filmed there. And um, my, my, my ex-wife got up in the morning and she read a story out of Kings, the story of Ahab. Gird up your chariots, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. And it hadn't, been, it hadn't rained there for three years. Anyway, we went up that morning to the highest point above Wazazat. And we were praying. And a little dust cloud came up, sound the size of a man's fist. I mean, it was literally what had happened in what we'd read about in the morning. And the next minute it was raining on us in the desert. Hadn't rained there for three years. We get back to the hotel and start sharing the story, and the guys in the hotel are saying, isn't that amazing? It's our day, our national day of prayer for rain for our country. It was a small little rainfall. And I was like, what's going on here? And God said, John, this rain is for you. Interestingly, after we'd left Morocco, and one of the prayers was that like perfume lingers in a room after somebody's left, that our presence and the Spirit would linger after we'd left Morocco. They had the wettest three months they'd had in years after we left Morocco. This, this, this rain is for you. And so in my time of struggling and battling, there was one thing that I knew, and that was I will not let go of this one thing. And that one thing was Jesus and what he'd done on the cross. As much as I felt disqualified, as much as I questioned my own salvation, are you really saved? Does Jesus really love you? Are you really covered by his blood? Anybody in the room feel like that ever? Okay, you're asking those questions very often because it's exactly what you are. You are covered by the blood. You are loved by Him. You are His. You do belong to Him. And the fullness of God dwells in you and so does the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, you wouldn't get those things thrown at you. Are you really? Are you really? Are you really? So, let me just go back here. So the third time, I'd gone up to, I'd been rehab. So now I'm trying to deal with this whole drug thing on my own. And I did all the right things. I ticked all the boxes. Went to rehab, went to meetings, tried to get my life right. Law, 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 law. Do this, do that, do this, do that, do this, do that. And all that happened is I just got sucked further and further and further into this thing. And it had more and more power over me. And I couldn't understand why that was. I'm born again. I'm spirit-filled. What's going on here? And one day I was up in the mountains and I was fighting with God. I was actually yelling at him. 
I'd had a really bad car accident. In fact, as it was happening, I'm, sh I'm shouting, I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead. My car's off the road. I'm heading to the side of a mountain, about 150 k's an hour. And I hit the side of the mountain, and three things went through my mind. One of them was, I don't want to die. I'd previously felt like I didn't want to be alive anymore. And I want to share another story. I was sitting, smoking a joint one morning in Westbrook. And I was sitting outside and thinking, man, you're a freak of nature. Something wrong with you. Something wrong with you. A freak of nature. And there were patches of clover on the ground, and, and I was thinking, yeah, you know, four-leaf clovers and everything. I was thinking, oh, it's a freak of nature. People look at it as a good luck charm. Anyway, I went inside to roll another joint, came outside, sat down, smoking my joint, and I looked down at the ground, and there, there was a four-leaf clover. Anyway, I picked it. Now, I don't believe in four-leaf clovers and the luck and all of that kind of stuff, but I do believe that God sends signs. And I thought, wow. I'm going to save this thing. I'm going to put it in some tissue paper. I'm going to put it in my Bible. I'm going to go and press it. And I did that, put the Bible down. I thought, hang on a sec. Let me just go and have a look and see what page this is on. And then there was the verse that said, and all who touched him were healed. Why is that not happening to me? Why is that not happening to me? And just to jump ahead, one evening I was with couple from this church, and I will mention their names, they're no longer here, Peter and Atlee, um, and I decided to just spill my guts and just say, guys, this is what I'm struggling with. I'm here with you guys, we're having dinner, we're having home group, I'm going to go home and first thing I'm going to do when I get home is have a joint. And I mean, some of you might think, oh, it's just weed, it's not a big deal. Believe me, big deal. My life was completely out of control, it wrecked, it wrecked things, wrecked many things in my life. And Pete, and I must just tell you that this is not in How to Counsel 101, an advice to give drug addicts in your home group 101. But Holy Spirit prompted Pete to say the craziest thing to me. He said, John, it's okay. Go home. Have one. Have three. Do you know how much God loves you? And that threw me back to the time in the mountains when I was fighting with God. And that was the third time that I want to tell you, he spoke to me. He said, do you not think my grace is sufficient for this small thing? That made me shout even more. Because it wasn't a small thing. It was huge. It was a giant. And it was wrecking my life. But I woke up the next morning. And I'd smoked. I'd, I'd finished the drugs that I had. And, and I was okay, I'm gonna, now I need to make a plan to go and buy some more. I never did. Never did. And the next morning, I was on my way to work, and I, had, had, I was still smoking cigarettes at that stage. I had a cigarette in my box, and I thought, wow, should I stop now on my way to work? I was running a little bit late. Buy some more smokes or not? I thought, well, I'll go in the afternoon. Never smoked another cigarette again. And I had wrestled and struggled and done rehab and done all of these things, and I want to tell you, it was flipping hard work. This... It was like turning off a light. There was no craving. And I thought, I want to share my story one day. But in order to do that, I need to work out what I did. And how mistaken was I? You know, I, I, I don't think I'm a really stupid person, but I, I can be really quite dumb sometimes. Because I just didn't get it. And so I went back, and I want to just share 
a few scriptures here and then I'm going to be finished because I know Irene's still got stuff to share. So, hundreds of years. Just give me a sec. Hundreds and hundreds of years before the manger. In Isaiah 54. Verse 17. But in that coming day, no weapon turned against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. Their vindication will come from me. I, the Lord, have spoken. Next one I want to share. Hebrews chapter 8. And I want to just share, read three verses here. Verse 8. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. And he goes on and says it's not going to be the same as the covenant before. They weren't faithful to that one. But this is the new covenant. This is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I'll put my laws in their minds. I'll write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need neighbors to teach. So they not need to teach their neighbors. Da, 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 da. You should know the Lord, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. And then Galatians 5, verse 5. Okay, let's go further. Verse 4. If you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you've been cut off from Christ. That's a, that's a tough statement. But it's so true and it's so powerful. You've fallen away from God's grace. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. Flashback to the time that I put this thing in my Bible and I said, all who reached out and touched Him were healed. I thought, I need to have more faith. I need more faith. I need more faith. I didn't understand that it was finished, that it was done. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. And I want to just finish off with this statement. It is all about Jesus. When your promises, you're still waiting. I've shared some of mine where miraculous things happened. There was an incredible turnaround. But I still struggle with stuff. But I will not let go of the promises he made and his faithfulness and his love. Same to you guys. It's a new year. Hold on to the promises that he has spoken over your life, specifically prophetic words. And if you haven't had specific prophetic words spoken over your life, just hold on to the promise that he said it is finished and he knows what you need. And he is faithful and true to his word. Thanks for listening to me. Thank you, my love. And how many years was it, love, that you... 15, 20 years. Okay, so that's the point I'm trying to make. Sometimes these things seem to take time. But don't give up. God's timing is perfect, and He has got a plan. And what else can we do while we're waiting? And one of the things is just to understand our purpose in life. 
Um, and I just felt also led to go back to that book. It was so popular years ago. It was a Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. And just I read some of it and was just reminded again, and I want to read a quote of his. You were made by God and for God. And until you understand that, life will never make sense. Sure. I'm going to read that again. You were made by God and for God. And until you understand that, life will never make sense. And so actually, life is worship. He talks about that in his book. And everything that we do is like a worship to God. Paul said, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice means we're living it every day in everything that we're doing. Um, other scriptures which confirm. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever, that covers everything, I'd say. Do all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So whether you're at home doing stuff around the house, whether you're entertaining people, having them over for a meal, whether you're at work, whether you're driving, whatever you're doing, we're doing it to the glory of God. We're doing it as an act of worship. So everything in our lives count. And so often, and that's what I've had to learn, we look back and think, ah, oh, waste of time. What was it? You know, like, like my 15 years. But it's not true. That's a lie from the devil. Your life is a worship. And so just worship God in everything that you do. And the other thing to do while we're waiting is just to get a longer-term mindset, an eternity mindset. Um, and I've just tried to plot there. I mean, I try to put numbers in, but when you get to like one billion and, you know, it's just, you can't even put the numbers into that kind of ongoing line of eternity. But I've just, if you have a good life and you live to 90, which I reckon is quite a good innings, it, it's so small. And there's scriptures that say our life is just like a mist. It's like a vapor and it's gone. So even my 15 years, it's like a little drop in the ocean. It's nothing really. And it's sometimes hard when you're in the moment, when you're in that time, you're like, oh God. And I remember times coming up for, here for prayer and I was like, oh God, how long? You know, like just desperate, feeling like, how do I do this any longer? Um, and I remember um, Graham still praying with me and saying, I mean, just a few more times around the track, you know, it's like you're running athletics and you're going a few more times around the track, you know, God's got a plan, change is coming, and, and it did come. But hang in there, don't give up, hang on to God. And then the other one that we don't like to, to read and talk about is the joy in trials. Because in fact, trials, temptation, refining, testing, these things are mentioned in the Bible over 200 times. It's part of our journey. It's part of our work, our walk with God. And so it's being able to count it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds. Being able to find some joy in it and knowing the bigger picture. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. Look what its full effect is. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And that's what hardships actually do to us. In those 15 years, I learned patience, I learned endurance, I learned to sacrifice, I learned to be humble. I learned a lot of good things during those years. And so it's in the trials and the refining and the testing that we learn to become perfect and complete. In fact, Hebrews 2.10 says, Jesus was made perfect through suffering. Think about that. Jesus was made perfect through suffering. 
And through suffering, he learned to be a great high priest to us because he understands exactly what we're going through. So when we go to him and we say, Jesus, look what I'm dealing with. Please help me. He completely gets it because he suffered himself. In every way, he was tempted, the Bible says. And John mentioned this, to keep the faith. And I just love that the King James Version actually uses the word substance. And we're talking about shadow or substance and substance being Christ. So faith is the substance of things hoped for. In fact, what we're saying is that the very thing that we hope for, it's in Jesus. It is Jesus. He is the substance. He is everything. And then finally, and John mentioned this and he didn't know it was in my in my message. I didn't tell him what, what else was in my message. But sometimes we need to just find the grace. And we, we know Paul the Apostle, uh, it said that uh, he had a thorn in the flesh, and we don't quite know what it was. Uh, there are different theories about what it might have been. Some people say it was his vision. Others say it was a person. But it, the Bible says it was a messenger of Satan sent to torment him. Imagine being tormented all the time by a messenger of Satan. And he, he pleaded with God three times and that's when God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. But let's not stop there because see what else he said. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul said, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So now it's kind of turned around. Now it's like substance versus shadow. His weakness is like a shadow, but the substance is the power of God, the power of Jesus, that his power may rest upon me. So we can do it. The Bible promises us he'll never give us more than we can handle. So sometimes we just need to find the grace, whatever we're living in, find the grace and know that we will move from shadow to substance because his promises are true. They're yes and amen in Christ. We will get there. Don't give up. Hang, hang in there. Trust him. Um, and he will come through for you. And so I'm praying for you for, for 2022. And I think let's all stand and just pray together. A prayer for the new year.